From the international headquarters of the Sword of the Lord Publishers and Ministries here in downtown Murfreesboro, Tennessee, this is Making a Difference, and I'm Dr. Shelton Smith. And it's my joy today to welcome you on this Wednesday, the last day of November. And listen, we're thankful to the Lord that we have the privilege to be right here on this station five days a week. And I'm glad you found us today, and I hope you'll do that as often as you possibly can, reminding you that at the midweek, most good churches are going to be open tonight, and I hope you'll find your way to the house of God. And maybe if your church has a Thursday service instead, whatever the case, be sure you get in on the midweek service. This week and last week, we've been talking about a crash course to keep us from crashing. Now, whenever we talk about crashing, we're talking about messing up in the Christian life. We're talking about sometimes how we see people, they get saved, they get into the church, and then three months later or three years later, they begin to drop out, they begin to fade, they get careless, they begin to dabble in the world, and all of that is like crashing in the Christian life. doesn't mean they're not saved, it just means that they've headed down the wrong trail, and they're about to become an embarrassment to the Lord and an embarrassment to themselves because they said they were going to follow the Lord, and now then they're not doing that. Well, I've been giving you some things a whole week's worth last week out of the Old Testament, and now this week we're looking at some key things in the New Testament that I think will help you as well. Today I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if you're a Christian very long and have gotten acquainted with the New Testament, you know that the letter, the epistle that was written to the church at Corinth is one that is very corrective in nature. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians. Now, by the time 2 Corinthians was written, a lot of things had gotten straightened up, cleaned up, and there's commendation there. But in 1 Corinthians, there is an amazing amount of corrective stuff especially in chapters number 1 through 14. And that is just the way it is. Now, there are things all the way through that, highlights, point here, point there, that you could take and underline the verse and say that's a good principle. But at the same time, remember, he's correcting, correcting, correcting all kinds of carnality. In fact, most of what they were doing at this point in the game was carnal. They simply were not a spiritual people. Now, when we get to chapter 15, he makes a big to-do about the resurrection. I mean, you talk about a really strong essay. I mean, something that just absolutely lifts the message of the gospel and lifts the testimony of the resurrection and exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is a super mountain peak in the Bible. But in the process of doing all all of this essay, I'll call it, on the resurrection, there are some vital points which have to do with us maintaining our testimony and staying strong in our Christian faith. Now here, let me just point out some of these, and I think these will be a help, again, to keep us from crashing. In verses 3 and 4, he talks about the gospel. Now, here's what it says. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, let me make very clear. Everything about the Christian life begins with the gospel. The gospel is simply what's stated here in these verses. Jesus died, he was buried, he arose again. 
It's amazing, but once in a while, I'll pick up a gospel track that has no gospel in it. And that just is really because they're giving out some message, and it may be a good message, but it is not a gospel message. And whenever we do the gospel, we have to know what we're talking about here. The gospel is not clean up your life. The gospel is not let's be better people. The gospel is not social justice. The gospel is not prosperity. But the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross and arose from the grave to pay our sin debt and to purchase salvation for us. That is the good news. The word gospel literally means good news, and I believe whenever we think about what we have in the Lord Jesus, we're going to say, wow, that is good news. Now, look with me down in the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 10, where he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. Whenever he says, I am what I am, It reminds me of the time in Exodus when Moses was hesitating to answer the call of God to lead the nation of Israel, and he said to the Lord, Who shall I tell them has sent me? He was concerned that nobody would listen to him. And when he wanted to know, Who shall I tell them sent me? The Lord said, You tell them, I am that I am hath sent you. I am that I am. That tells us something about God. It is a title that goes well with the great eternal God. Here the Apostle Paul says, and I think it's because of the I am that I am, he can say, I am what I am. And because we have a Savior, because we have the gospel, because we have salvation, and we can clean up our life and become something that is a good testimony, and that is what we ought to be. Remember, the Apostle Paul was a persecutor of Christians long before he became a Christian and before he became a preacher. But he says now, because of what the Lord's done in his life, he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, drop down just a little further in the chapter. We're just looking at some highlights here that have personal application to us out of this great resurrection chapter. In verse 19, he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now, that's just a way of saying that the fact is it goes way beyond this veil of tears. It goes way beyond this life, what we have in the Lord Jesus. Whenever your body collapses in death, your life will not be over. The real you that lives inside your body will continue to live beyond the time that your body lives. And so we need to know very clearly, it's not over when it's over. There is a morning after the life before. And he's telling us here, if it was just for now... Boy, we would be thinking about eternity and thinking about the grave, and we'd be sad because we'd say, man, we're just going to die and be in the grave. No, it's more to it than that. There is an eternity coming. And because we have the Savior, because of what God's done for us when he saved us and forgiven us of our sin, we are then put in position to have a home in heaven. Look with me down further at verse 34. He says there, talking to these folks now, that he's trying to get straightened up. He says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He was just saying when this church got off track, whenever they began to do all this carnal stuff, it really fouled up their testimony in the city where they were. And consequently, there's all kinds of people now in the city who are not 
aware of what they need to be aware of. They're not hearing the gospel. They're not knowing about God simply because this church has fallen by the wayside and they're not doing the job they're supposed to do. I'm telling you, right here in America, we've got a lot of crazy things going on, and a lot of it is because so few churches are doing the business that they ought to be doing. And whenever I read this part of it that says, I speak this to your shame, I'm telling you, it just, I mean, it sends cold chills up my back because I'm just thinking, what in the world can we do to straighten things up, to get our churches back on track, and to get so many churches all across the land to quit playing silly games and to get back on board like they need to be. I'm thankful we've got some good churches. We've got some that haven't fallen by the wayside, but many, many have just headed down trails where no church ought to go. And he says there are people in that city, just like there are in my city and in yours, who have not the knowledge of God. I've run on to a number of people right here in the city of Murfreesboro who, in talking with them about the Savior, it's like they have no clue that there's even a God in existence. And I'm telling you, I'm right here in this part of the world, people who have no knowledge of God. And you and I need to give ourselves to that task. Now, drop down to verse 51. Here's another point to be made. He said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, talking about death. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. This is a fact, dear friend. Just as Jesus came the first time, he's coming a second time. The Bible tells us that God the Father has the information about the time locked up in his mind, and he's not telling anybody until he gives the order for the Lord Jesus to return. And whenever heaven's trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ are going to awaken from the grave. They're, I mean, those bodies are going to reconstitute, and they're going to resurrect from the grave and rise up in the air to meet the Lord. And then everybody alive on this planet is going to rise up as well. I mean, you're talking about uh, getting excited when we get to fly. I mean, I get on an airplane almost every week, once or twice, and uh, I like flying. I just have to tell you, I like it. I cannot imagine this world without air transportation. But at the same time, whenever you think about one of these days when that trumpet sounds, we're going to get to fly and we won't have to get in a metal tube to do it. That's pretty exciting to me. And I just thank the Lord that he has made us that promise that uh, even beyond our lifetime here, this whole scenario is going to develop. It's going to be right on program as God has laid it out. And we're going to be very, very excited when that happens. Now, one more point to be made here. We get down to the end of this chapter in verse 58. And he says, therefore, my beloved brethren. Now, notice what he says here. My beloved brethren, this church that he's talking to in Corinth is a mess. They are off the rails. They're off the track. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. They've got sin in their camp. I mean, every kind of a wrong thing is going on. They're theologically all messed up. And yet he calls them brethren, and not only that, but beloved brethren. I mean, I like being included in the fellowship of God's people. And whenever somebody says, you're a brother, that's great. But when somebody says, a beloved brother, I mean, that is just putting icing on the cake. And he calls them that. So you see, they're saved. They're not unsaved. 
He's telling them very clearly he considers them to be brethren, and yet they're not on the track like they need to be on, and that's why he spent so much time trying to get them straightened out. So here's what he says. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Dear friend, what I'm talking to you about in this crash course, I don't want you to crash. I want you to stay faithful. I believe it's worthwhile for you to stay faithful. I want you to do exactly what this verse says. And when you do, I think it's going to put you in the victory circle. You're not going to be a loser. You're not going to be down. You're not going to be running from God. You're not going to be out living in the world and dabbling with all kinds of carnalities. But instead, he says, be steadfast. That's talking about us getting positioned right, getting seated right, so that we're on track where we need to be, and then unmovable. No ill wind blowing us off course. Nothing happening that is going to change us. We're going to stay straight, stay faithful, stay on track to do what we ought to do. And then he says, always abounding. That has to do with quality and quantity, always abounding. It tells me we ought to be excited. We ought to be stirred up. When he says, after looking at all this in the resurrection chapter, he says, therefore, he's just telling us we ought to really, really be excited about all of that and stay right on track in the work of the Lord. And we'll be glad that we did because the Lord does pay and he pays well. The rewards are coming in heaven, and we'll be glad that we followed the Lord faithfully. Well, listen, this 1 Corinthians chapter has some good things about not crashing, helping us to stay on course. Tomorrow, we'll look at another passage here in the New Testament that'll help us too. In the meantime, do write me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me, Dr. Shelton Smith, at P.O. Box 1099, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, 37133. The email address is radio at swordofthelord.com, and I'll be glad to send you a sample copy of our Sword of the Lord newspaper if you like. So write to me. I'll be glad to hear from you. In the meantime, have a good rest of the day, and goodbye for now.